two, one, and we're live. So welcome to the Microbial Secret Society podcast. We're live. Welcome to another episode. Aloha. Aloha. Um, today we have a special guest, Tom Eibold, with us to maybe demystify um, a little bit about digital currencies, the blockchain, and, and Bitcoin, and maybe how we can draw connections to um, artificial intelligence and this international digital money currency and is there any sort of connection or parallels that we can draw to the secret society or the, the microbes that, that we love to talk about. Hey everybody, good to be here. Another beautiful day in uh, the Big Island. I'm excited. All the, all those topics just piqued my piqued my interest. I, I yeah, yeah. Cool. Right, right on. Yeah. So you're you're excited. Um, not, uh, how do you want to move forward? A little intro. Yeah. Why why don't you introduce yourself sure. a bit? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm Tom Eibold. I uh, I help uh, large enterprises use blockchain technology primarily for from a to optimize business operations and create new business models for, for them. So it's primarily more so uh, I'm focused more on with like Fortune 500 companies, whereas there's a whole nother ecosystem, which is uh, also in the blockchain realm, which is more startup based. So uh, I do work more with the enterprises, but I'm knowledgeable on everything going on in the blockchain ecosystem. So uh, that's kind of my background. Cool. And so I've been doing a lot of fungal networks, and I studied computer science in school. So kind of relating those concepts of uh, these natural patterns to uh, what I what I see. And I, I'm not too familiar with blockchain per se, but um, but I'd, I'd love to hear about that technology. Yeah, hopefully you're addicted to it by the end of this. <laughs> so someone who might not know, what, what is a blockchain? So... Uh, all a blockchain is is a ledger. Um, it's a distributed ledger, not owned or governed by anyone, and it's censorship resistant. So, no government uh, public blockchains uh, are censorship resistant, where whereby no government can manipulate what's in this ledger or modify it. Um, um, every transaction that's in this ledger is verified by. Um, nodes or other people who maintain the integrity of it and they're incentivized to maintain this integrity through uh, primarily uh, uh, monetary incentives um, to do so. So um, you have miners or mining is one way of adding transactions to a blockchain but there's other uh, ways in which transactions can be added such as like proof of stake where you stake your actual money that you're validating that you're validating blocks correctly, and if someone, everyone's constantly checking each other. So if someone calls you out that oh you actually you're a bad actor, they take your money that was locked in a smart contract. So it's kind of like there's game theory with blockchain. There's it's peer to peer. It's it's and how uh, we kind of see it from an enterprise standpoint is like what ERP or enterprise resource planning like these. SAP systems, every company has, you know, hundreds of systems and data is siloed, but we kind of look at it as a, a single golden source of truth um, that uh, what enterprises did for, what ERP did for a single enterprise, uh, blockchains are going to create uh, like eco industry ecosystems um, of one shared source of truth of data. 
on, on a blockchain. So another thing you need to know about blockchain that's pretty important is that everything that's in this ledger is immutable. So you can only append to it. So mm-hmm. no matter if, if a transaction is in there, it's going to be permanent forever. Um, like the Bitcoin blockchain, like it could basically withstand like a nuclear war. It's probably going to be, you know, interplanetary too. No one can like get, you know, in order to modify the data, you'd have to have over 51% of the power on the network, which is nearly impossible at this point. I won't go into all the numbers, um, but it's really, 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 really hard. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's kind of, does it make sense or does that, it, let me know if that, if, because it's just my interpretation and I can always try to say it a different way. Well, I under I understand those concepts when you use the vocabulary immutable. To me, that means it, it cannot change. Like once it's ri- it's like writing in stone, you know, it's very difficult to modify. And then when you say append, to me that means you can only write further tablets of stone in that sequence, and so you can't really change things. And that's why it's kind of truth. It's it's a record of things that would be kept. And then I could see, you know, applying that in various applications. And one of those you mentioned was, I think, I believe Bitcoin, which is one way I've heard of it's built on blockchain technology. And that Bitcoin, you, you also mentioned mining. And I think that is also maybe back to Bitcoin or these other coin things that I see my friends trade on the internet. But I would imagine in a in a scenario like if I'm using that for my company, I'm not going to go and mine bitcoins to to secure like invoices coming in. Correct. So there's there must be different applications of this technology. Yeah, yeah, great, great point. Um, so Bitcoin was used for one use case: transfer this token, which is Bitcoin, to this person. Um, that's all it does. But then there's uh, kind of that was, you know, version that was one type of blockchain, the first blockchain. Um, And Bitcoin's been around for 10 years Hmm. and it's never gone down. And uh, so it's I've seen it crash a few times. No, the price has gone down. Okay, okay. But the network has had 100% availability. Oh, 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 okay. That's that's actually a different aspect because my bank has holidays and stuff. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So then... (laughs) So then in this ledger, that was, that was the only logic that could be programmed into this ledger. And then you had Ethereum, which is a smart contract platform. And what Ethereum did is you can input business logic. You can encode any agreement in the, in the real world digitally and have it self-execute in a smart contract. So Ethereum created smart contracts, made mm-hmm. that like a mainstream. So what is a smart contract? A smart contract is... Uh, an agreement. It's a it's a piece of code. It's an if then statement. It says if this happens at X time or whatever it is, um, execute, and it'll execute no matter what. It's an agreement you can get in with someone and know that no matter what happens to the output of this, it's going to execute. So that's the level of trust. Blockchains are all about trust, and uh, you know you don't have to trust one entity or one government or company that to ensure your assets are safe or whatever it may be you you trust the code is it is a to, to me that sounds almost like a an escrow service like it, it form it takes that role mm-hmm. yeah smart contracts definitely are escrows so it's something that i kind of wanted to 
throw out there as a question and uh, see how, how it kind of, <coughs> excuse me, relates is um, you, you showed me, Tom showed me an article about Duolingo mm. and how like the way that they were able to scale their company is by utilizing like a certification process and that they want by by certifying with public schools and things on languages and through the software based learning app um, they were actually able to scale their business and but it requires a blockchain so it makes me think about the the work that you've done drake where you you're kind of you've been working on a certification process with natural farming where people are taking photos and documenting their um their process and there's some sort of verification and validation and, and that's still like trying to figure out like how that all works but when i talked to tommy about it he said that it would require a blockchain that 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 type of technology mm, would, would i don't i don't think i said it would require a blockchain you didn't say it would require well well so one of one of the things i'm doing is you know the the model layer like in a model view controller type of framework mm -hmm. is one of the most important layers here that you have a consistent yet at the same time somewhat distributed model and it sounds like blockchain is gives you that trust in your you know in your centralized system but also in a distributed area and yep. that, and it's so so it solves a similar problem because the database I'm looking for you know is like w one of the hard problems in computer science to solve is what they call a multi-master replication problem, where who is the ultimate master and where does truth come from? So I do some interaction with a database and then you do an interaction with a clone database, then how do we synchronize those? And if I added something and you deleted something and there's some conflict of like what data we're entering, how do you reckon that? And that's called the multi-master replication problem and it's it's known to be a, as hard to solve the problem and just as hard to verify it's correct. And he, it, as humans with intuition, we come up and we say, oh no, this is what I meant. I, I, I planted this, he removed that, and we resolve the conflict. But for the machine to resolve that, it's an infinite loop. And that's, I don't know if blockchain, you know, avoids this in some way because it's a, it's a you know, it's a known impossible problem to compute with a reasonable effort within the current computing constructs unless you got into like quantum computing or like human reckoning that we come up and we're like oh no it's this and we don't you know we don't get stuck in some loop being like nah what the hell you know mm -hmm. we're just like oh that like our intuition gives us that knack that the machine doesn't have and i don't know if you know what solutions there are you've heard of to those types of situations yeah, so that's that's an interesting. I first time I heard that. So so what is the if you had to summarize simply, sorry, the the problem? What's well, called multi-master replication, uh -huh. and it basically means I make a change to the database, you make a change to it, but our changes are in conflict. Oh, which oh, yeah, is right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So the the blockchain is a it's a it's a standard. It's a way for data to be transmitted using the same kind of data format, data standard. Um, one of the things miners are checking, uh, you know, if you want to add a transaction to a blockchain, 
you have to meet certain requirements. And that's what everyone's looking at, you know, block headers, um, making sure it's formatted properly. And, and if it checks off on all those things, it's going to get added. Um, but if not, it's not going to get added. Um, so definitely, I think, and that's just, that's just the beginning. And then on top of that, so you have this base layer of a blockchain. And what's happening now is additional protocols. Similar, it's the exact same way in which the internet was built. So the internet, you had the IP on the bottom. And then on top of it, you had SMTP and HTTPS. And on top of that, what, what was created, you had web browsers and, and, uh, and email. Mm -hmm. And so Yahoo, Gmail, you know, et cetera. Bunch mm -hmm. of applications built on top of it. We can't live without it today. Same type of, well, yeah. <laughs> maybe you guys can. Um, but yeah, so same type of thing is happening, but blockchains focus more on uh, actually the, the first big kind of area within Ethereum that's emerging is within finance. They call it DeFi or decentralized finance. And there's protocols being built that are first being built around uh, some of the core financial functions, such as uh, asset lending, asset exchange derivative trading, um, and prediction markets. Those are the first protocols. So those are just ways in which you can continue, you can build on top of them. They're interoperable. You can leverage aspects of them and create new products and business models. And that's what we're seeing. So uh, it's pretty exciting. It's crazy to see, you know, we look at how the internet was built and how blockchain's doing it, but for finance. So it, the internet was all about, uh, it democratized access and creation to information. And, uh, and Joey Krug put it really well in his crypto thesis, if, if you want to check it out. Um, but he, uh, And he compared it to, so, so blockchain is going to do uh, that, but for finance. So it'll democratize access and creation of financial, new financial markets that never could have existed before. Which is interesting because when you think about it from a peer-to-peer -peer standpoint and when you think about natural farming... I think there's definitely some correlation because our next topic we should probably talk about is kind of using blockchain within supply chain and what that means for kind of, you know, farming. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, so I'm trying, well, I'm establishing a system of integrity for certain protocols being followed and then uh, verification of products and th those would in, in the present agricultural realm you don't know your npk commercial fertilizer provider but this system would enable from your you know uh, fertilizer manufacturer all the way to your end consumer so imagine you're at the restaurant and you could you know potentially pull up the blockchain to find out you know, what's in this vinaigrette that's added to my salad. And, and that level, I think, is that sophistication and that if it's written in that ledger in that way, that that data can be accessible. Not that everyone needs it in that level. You know, I think that's the thing. As you, as we accrue more and more data, you know, where am I going to store that image and that thing? You know, am I going to trust it to Google or Amazon or these big giant companies to host those that data set? or a ledger that's peer-to-peer -peer in a way that it can be accessed. And I think the blockchain helps to address that issue. Definitely. Yep. That's where, yeah, you'll be able to, you know, we've done it with with, uh, with wine. You can do anything that can be tokenized will be tokenized. So we haven't talked about tokenization because you need to talk about tokenization to get to 
uh, kind of these supply chain type applications. So, so what is tokenization? And then just, just putting out there like words and symbols and meanings like token, like is it JR token or whatever, the Lord of the Rings, that kind of stuff. So just, just, just throwing that out there. But yeah, what, what is tokenization in terms of blockchain? And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so a token in, a, in the blockchain world. So on these smart, you know, in smart contract, on Ethereum, smart contract platforms, you know, Ethereum is just a blockchain with smart contracts. Um, you know, it's Turing complete, so you can kind of execute anything on it. Um, hmm, interesting. Yeah. That, that's what I'm talking about is the Turing incomplete program where it's, yeah, but anyway, yeah. Cool. And that is interesting. Um, yeah, so... So tokens, so there are asset standards. So like we were talking about standards before. So one of the first things Ethereum did is created asset standards or a way to create digital assets. So blockchain, this is where it gets kind of super interesting. So, so another way to think about a blockchain is blockchains are a way for you to truly own digital things, which is crazy because before you have never, no one, our entire society has never been able to actually own something digital. Never before. You know, maybe you were playing a video game in Activision. You know, you maybe achieved some sort of digital asset in a video game. But, you know, if Activision decides to, you know, not host online support anymore or, you know, your character, you know, it, it, it could be gone very yeah, easily. And it's not interoperable. Video games either. Yeah, yeah, and it's, you know, um, and you don't, you know, there's usually... There are markets, but they're not, you know, they're not to the scale in which which they, you know, maybe could be. Um, but yeah, so with blockchain, you can own digital assets. So one of the things Ethereum did is create asset standards. So it's a really easy way with, if, you know, you can easily create tokens. So a token, tokens can be of digital things, and they can also be of physical things. Um, and they can represent anything. So you can create a... Uh, Dave, uh, you could create a David Forsyth token and, you know, you can create, you know, input incentives and, in you know, you can create, create it however you'd like to create it. Um, but then, you know, so, so gaming is going to be huge. It's going to be probably the first big, giant, huge adoption that you'll see using blockchains. You know, gamers in the future are going to be like, they won't realize they're using blockchains, but the blockchain is going to be what's kind of underlying every, every asset that they've achieved um but then you know with physical assets you can basically digitize any real world asset and represent it on a blockchain and what that creates <clears throat> is a whole lot of transparency and trust into the item that you are buying where it's coming from and each step through its manufacturing process mm -hmm. from you know you can track it all mm -hmm. the way back um so, yeah, from a farming standpoint, you know, doing natural farming, how do you actually know that the goods you're buying were, you know, cultivated a certain way in which you, you know, you believe that uh, should be, you know, what you'd like to consume it to be? Um, so that is uh, very enticing. And everything, you know, a, a token is just a digital representation of whatever you'd like it to be. And you can create unique identifiers, uh, you know, which showcase that. So in a real world, it'd just be like a barcode. You'd scan the barcode and it would pull it up on a public blockchain. Anyone can go on a public blockchain. It's, you know, it's open to anyone. It's like a public utility like the Internet. No one can stop you from using a public blockchain unless, you know, so, China so or something. So it's all about like a UUID to tokenize <coughs> things, a unique identifier. 
I, I, so I had an idea at one point, and let me know if this is like similar to this, where you're saying gamers adopt this. I had, I had this idea to call it um, MMIRL, which was massive multiplayer in real life. And the idea being that you could register your real things. Like, cause I, cause I always thought about it. I'm like, you know, okay, if I'm here playing World of Warcraft, for instance, and I'm going into some dungeon and I'm going to fight some boss, it's just the computer with random numbers that the camaraderie between myself and the others to go defeat that RP, you know, RPC the, or the computer NPC guy is fun and get the drops and get the things and then you got some status in your virtual realm but at the end of the day it it left me feeling like man i'm just fighting the computer when outside there are real problems that need my real help and my time well spent but i feel like the rewards i get in the real world like i don't go downtown hilo and plant some stuff and then jewels drop (laughs) but i did find a wide angle lens down there and I did find some things of value as I'm working on the street. So there is real life, you know, like like merch drops or whatever. But using blockchain to represent these things, I, I envision this game where it's like, okay, you can put your house as an asset to then get collateral and capital, which is sort of similar to banking and mortgages. But it would be in this MMIRL where then you could, you know, leverage those same ideas and i think this is what you're oh it's spot on yeah. you you know what's up man yeah this is that's a really uh amazing you know lens that that you have that you know that's that's something that's far out and you know i haven't heard of anyone doing that but that <laughs> is powerful and especially if you want to talk about you know how do we spread microorganisms uh you incentivize it so i love the game theory aspect and gamification of it i mean that's that's it will happen it's just you know i think i would not bet against that not happening when joe rogan listens to our podcast yeah but tommy was mentioning to me that you can the new wave maybe this is related is you can begin to buy digital real estate so, like, how there's, like, different worlds, like, going off the World of Warcraft example, there's, like, a realm or, a, like, a world or a server, right? You can actually start to begin to purchase real estate on the blockchain. And my, my question to you, Tom, is, like, what is the benefit of that? And, like, how would a digital asset of, of digital real estate ever trump, <coughs> a, you know, a tangible, physical, like like, land, which is on a tax sheet is not depreciable. Typically will go up in value, especially if you're in an area like <coughs> Hawaii where there's limited space, limited land, and the, the population that we're experiencing is exponential growth. So why, like, why would someone, if they had money, put, put it into like, buy this like digital blockchain world instead of putting it into like, physical land where you can actually see your assets and then this is another question that maybe you can go into is like some people talk about well what what are you going to be worth if you're if there's if the internet turns off how much money are you going to be making so if all your if all your if all your money is coming through the social media or the internet or, or these ways like what are your assets and like for me what comes up is like land okay like well i know that there's pineapples growing i know that there's bananas growing this is just for in hawaii or whatever but 
those are physical things that have value, like animals have value, these things that, are, that aren't going to depreciate if the internet goes down. And almost will like get more valuable as 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 time moves forward. I mean, from my limited perspective. If we stay on this planet, yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, great great question, and I and I get it a lot. So, um, like I said, you can own digital assets now, which is pretty mind boggling. You, you know, true true ownership of that. So naturally, one of the first things that's kind of happening is um, kind of like Ready Player One style Oasis virtual you know they're going to be vr ready virtual reality ready and you know maybe a handful of years some are actually already uh in the works that are ready um uh, but they uh yeah so how it works is land ownership registration is done on a blockchain and there's uh usually uh, a cryptocurrency which is, is used to interact um Businesses will accept it for, you know, virtual items, games, casinos, you name it. You dream it up, it's probably going to be in, in the virtual, these virtual worlds um, and with the underlying blockchain. So one of the things I get is, you know, why, why would I ever buy digital or virtual real estate? Well, and, and one of the first things that people say is, well, you know, virtual real estate isn't finite. And I'm like, oh, you know, good point. Yeah, it's not. You can just create more digital real estate. And then I came to Hawaii, and David was telling me about how the volcanoes make more land. So there is a inflate. There is, you know, vert- physical real estate. You know, in Middle East, they can easily build islands. You know, re- real estate, to some extent, isn't as scarce as humans think it is. Uh, but from my building up on the sand and like Hilo if, if there's a hurricane is underwater right so there's a lot of places like islands in Dubai and things that are man-made and if there is drastic climate change that you know that that land is going to sink back into the ocean potentially speaking yeah my, my my thought and thinking on it is that you know I, I own domain names and I and I operate websites which are these digital like intangible like things that can be done so so i understand the true value of those they're actually you know there is money to be made there and there is you know because there's information is things you know it has value Uh, but i think in the case of digital ownership of digital property your maintenance costs are largely outsourced it does cost you some money like you got to pay a domain name registration or, or some registration fee somewhere for these assets probably um, and then so there is some inherent cost that way but it's not the inherent cost of owning property where you got to cut down trees you have to make sure you know that your house isn't rotting away and so in in digital ownership of these assets you know they're much more volatile in terms of, you know, like, you can just look what happened to MySpace. One day, there was a mass exodus, and everyone was like, oh, I'm over this MySpace, and it was gone in, like, a matter of weeks. And that happens to digital assets. But then you can also look at physical assets and say, oh, well, look at the lava came and actually covered people's property and covered people's years of investment there and took it away, or a hurricane came. So both can crash. 
but the upkeep in the digital realm is largely, so, you know, I don't run the servers. I don't go in the room and check, make sure it's going. It's like having somebody that's a property manager that's awesome, that's really well accounted for, and a lot of people do it, you know, and owning physical property is just the responsibility is just immense. That's why people hold cash in a bank. Because if you were to like, you know, invest that in horses and keep them alive, what if they die? What if they break out? What if, you know, you don't have enough money to feed them? Physical investments are, the upkeep is so immense that money and now these digital abstractions of money or value have cheap upkeep. So like, yeah, sure, I want a billion Bitcoins because that doesn't cost me shit to keep around. And it's a few Lamborghinis if I cash it out at the right time or horses or land or whatever mm -hmm. but it doesn't cost me much to keep the bitcoin so i so is is that does that add to the conversation in that way of like why certain times you invest in bitcoin or banks or these abstractions of money and sometimes you get real estate and sometimes the real estate's real valuable especially if the volatile other ones you know inflation Bitcoin crashes, it pops, you know, it's versus my land is there. And if I can utilize it and maintain it, that's ultimate. But that's real, like, man, it's it. That's a lifestyle more than like Bitcoin is like hobby. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what, what comes up for, that does answer, like, I think that does address some of the, the topics that we presented. But when you talked about like, oh, if I, if I invest in like all these forces and I don't have the, the means to upkeep them and then, you know, whatever, then sound investment maybe but what comes up when you say that is there's this book it's called do androids dream of electric sheep and it's by philip k dick and he's kind of like i would say he's almost like shamanic prophetic in a sense where he he writes these books about like things that are set into the future and this book's set like a few hundred years into the future and people are like waking up and they like want to feel like happiness so they like press a button and then they like get like level five happiness and then oh they, like, they want to feel like pain or anger so then they like press a button and then they, they feel those things and in this like post-apocalyptic world it's like do androids dream of electric sheep it's like making the parallel where like humans have almost become like cyborg and they're so dependent on technology and in this premise animals are such a rare thing it's like people have like robotic sheep and like robotic horses and stuff but like for someone to have like a cow or like a chicken or something it's like oh my god that's like that's like almost unheard of you like mm -hmm. royalty yeah yeah it oh, could it could end up that way too you know <laughs> it's an interesting perspective it almost kind of is today yeah i mean no one has living animals just so what's interesting actually is blockchain's all about digital sovereignty and then I come to Hawaii and everyone's about sovereignty of self for, you know, water, power, um, food, shelter. And that's something you don't see everywhere else because it's, I don't know if it's just not possible. Uh, I mean, it's possible on the mainland, but um, it's really awesome that having that freedom and sovereignty over your life and then you can combine it with the digital sovereignty that's like the ultimate but doesn't that doesn't that say like like you said it it requires a person or someone to like upkeep the servers which you're putting outside of yourself like yeah like maintaining your own home or your own land might be more labor more cost more things 
but you're putting your, yourself in that position and upholding that responsibility or obligation to fulfill that, where if you're relying on this digital blockchain, it's like, who, who is setting these parameters at a certain point? And like, where, where does artificial intelligence lie in all this? Because we, we, we're already seeing that in places like China, where there's like, you know, smart cities and things like that, people are having like a, what, what is it called? Like a, a user for like credit score or like mm -hmm. social like credit a social credit score where if someone like you know runs a red light they're getting like minus 30 karma or whatever credits and then and, and instead of them like being able to utilize the the city bike for free they gotta they gotta pay because their their credit score isn't high enough and, and this is something that's taking place right in the open in china right in front of our eyes and if you look at the history of artificial intelligence and you, you kind of study the rabbit hole a little bit and where it came from, it bloomed and blossomed in the United States. And there's like a, several universities that are leaders in it. And um, all those like universities and leaders are, are government like funded. And they, those, where they were trained, all the people that are the, the biggest corporations in China that are the heads of artificial intelligence came States. So it's almost like they learned it here, and then they're they're like applying it there, and it's like China's like, hey, we're, we're you know, that they're like communism, is it like communism, or I don't I don't I don't actually know, but it's like we're doing this right in the open, and then in America, they don't We have this perceived like freedom of, of oh that's not happening here, but it's it. I feel like when you know artificial intelligence is able to solve problems and it's able to share that information across domains as a fact and it's able to create new children and teach those children to solve these problems so it's like is that to me is almost like a mind or an energy of its own where it's like how do you have sovereignty of self in a digital world where you have this artificial intelligence that's like like it's already accepting and solving problems without human input and like who sets these parameters it's it's the artificial intelligence is like this is plus 30 karma or this is minus 5 karma or whatever it is and like how do you get so sovereignty of self in a digital world yeah yeah no it's a good point I mean AI is is a threat and it will be you know there's a huge you know ethical you know there's committees trying to you know stop it but it seems like a losing battle it seems like bad things will happen with ai and ai is going to leverage blockchain it's going to be you know stacked on top of the blockchain um and the internet um it's scary um when it comes to government you know governments love blockchains because uh you know bitcoin is not anonymous it's a permanent ledger of everything that happens governments are going to use blockchains but uh to get that sovereignty uh, just like kind of with the internet, we need to be able to, to transact privately uh, through cryptography without um, on public blockchains. So there are, you know, technologies like zero knowledge proofs, which you can truly transit. No one can figure out to date how to decipher or decrypt what happened with zero with with uh, with your transaction if it goes through a zero knowledge proof. Um, and that's that's being built on the Ethereum blockchain, and one of the that's one of the core things we think enterprises need if they're ever going to use a public blockchain for their business operations. They need to be transacting privately on public blockchains. So we're still really early, and it's only a matter of time until we get to a level where it would be possible to have kind of 
you know, true sovereignty and hopefully, you know, large, you know, there isn't, you know, governments, you know, don't do bad things, I guess is... <laughs> but my yeah well, it's okay. like why yeah. why i thought one of the plus sides of the blockchain and, and these digital currencies is that it is transparent and it's like everything you do is is like public almost maybe not to everyone but that information is out there and stored and then you're talking about these companies or these things that are building on top of these these blockchain technologies that are trying to like decryptify their um their transactions so how zero knowledge proofs work is the validators on a on a blockchain network can still validate that you're acting appropriately but they can't see what you're actually doing and i don't know enough about zkps but if you want to check it's a good thing to definitely google and do some uh you know look at some youtube videos but uh it's it's uh pretty interesting well if i if i can address that with the you're talking about the digital sovereignty and, and my idea is right now, if I want to go on YouTube, I have to hit servers that are off-island. And maybe there is some, some content delivery network in the islands, like a CDN somewhere, like a Honolulu airport or something where the internet comes in. Maybe they're caching, edge node caching or something. But largely, if I want to go on YouTube, I have to hit, you know, a centralized YouTube. Or if I want to go on Facebook or I want to go on these social networks, I have to hit this centralized server. To me, what digital sovereignty is is having a cache or an edge node here that we're in control of for like big island network like i want to have video and in digital media and these exchanges here and i want some exchange to the bigger upstream like i'll sync it with you know united states uh california youtube servers and some mirroring like like how the internet used to work with bbs is where you kind of forward messages this bulletin board system where you forward messages and I would like to see an internet like that. That to me is digital sovereignty where in Hawaii we own the infrastructure. So the censorship that may come from YouTube or Twitter or these big centralized places, they don't necessarily have to censor us, just our, you know, stuff that would be upstream. And we have, you know, our county runs a digital infrastructure with broadband internet around. So we're connected into this you know, mycelia that's here that's fully functional, but then can also have uplinks. And, and to me, that's more better because then the facial recognition they're gathering in Hilo may or may not happen when I go up to Washington, D.C. And I was just thinking about discussing with Suze earlier. We live in this realm where literally as I travel through, they can take my whole digital profile, my Google, where I was with Facebook, all of my political preferences, and they can actually determine like a threat level of who's around like if i go visit the capital this weekend they can in real time put a number to you and a threat level to me from this network because i've participated in it in this way where i've sent it to a central thing where it is all in one model one record you know and then the the nsa and those guys have taps on there where they're slurping all the data and then they process it in real time once they have their warrants they just slurp the entire thing and say we'll cache the entire internet for later and so i'm constantly being monitored and that's that takes away from my digital sovereignty because my digital sovereignty is like my hard drive here should be like my photos but today now they're on icloud and google drive and all this stuff that's now out of my hands and i've lost my digital sovereignty if I want to show my grandparents my or my grandchildren my pictures, 
Maybe that's written into Google's terms of service. Maybe it's not, but now they own my ass. And unless I had cached them on my own drive, my own hard drive, which I'm perfectly capable of, but we're not headed towards digital sovereignty. We're headed towards caching them with Google, writing all of our transactions on a blockchain that's a public ledger, which is awesome in a lot of regards. But the the there's these different levels of where you're caching, why you're caching, and who's slurping, and what data we're monitoring. Because those are my memories, and most people don't care, but maybe they will one day. Or, you know, it's just... Yeah, today we're we're very we need digital literacy in a lot of ways. It makes me think of like when I was a kid. I remember there was this like one little closet or room where my my parents used to keep like a photo album, like all the photo albums from like their parents and their kids and stuff like that. And it's like it's like it was physical, you know. It could get it's susceptible to the elements, meaning it could mold, it could go bad. You know, it's got to be preserved. But you own that 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 family photo book, right? Yeah. But today, you got to go to some server or something to retrieve your 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 data. And ten years down the line, you, you say say you had like a thousand pictures. Ten years later, you might only have access to like a few hundred of those because for whatever your reason, most popular ones on Facebook. <laughs> they, they, they can get censored in, in that regard. Our yeah. algorithm has determined we only want these memories for you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and and from from like a data storage standpoint, that I'm least concerned about that. That's already in the works. You know, there's this thing called interplanetary file system IPFS, and it's uh, something in which you know it's a distributed data store where you know your data is encrypted, uh, broken into a million bits, and dispersed across the network. And when you want it, you have your private key. You know, you can extract it back, and no one can really. So that use case. I'm feeling good about that one. I think well, society will, you'll be able to have ownership over that. But there's definitely, um, like you said, David, concerns with uh, like facial recognition and AI being layered and used to abuse the system or things like that. So, uh, in real time, they profile you. I know what I know what happens. Like you walk into Walmart, and in real time, they're able to like predict you and know where you're going i was thinking about you know if in the subways they have these screens and you could basically measure the political profile of people on the screen and actually change the wall advertisements to affect the mood of the people in there and do massive social manipulation with these like algorithms with big data and real-time facial recognition and you know I was just thinking, you know, like that's not a dystopian thing. That's actually like really happening when I go on to nowadays. When yeah. when I go on to Facebook and Twitter, it, it it actually they bias based on who I am, what I see. You know, I don't get to see everybody, and it's when it was a smaller thing and I had fewer friends, it was easier. But as my network grew, the bias grew within it, and people I love, I don't see their stuff, and then I'll check, I'll click on their page, and I'll see all this stuff they're doing. I'm like, why the why didn't the algorithm think I wanted to? See? This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. So how how does this uh, how does this relate to the to the secret society, the true secret society, and the, the mycelium networks? Is the blockchain Drake a like a mimic of uh, of the fungal networks below, and that's like trying to or what what that already is. So, Dave, you mentioned how, like, what if the Internet went away? Um, so this will lead into that. So the Internet, yeah, is definitely, you know, 
hosted by you know ISP providers and, and things like that. But but that's going to change, um, and how it's going to probably look is where you know you're at your place and you have say a little little box or a little hotspot of something, and you'll actually be providing bandwidth to your neighbor. So mesh networking. And the reason why you would be doing that is because you're going to be getting paid in tokens. The the token of the, you know, one thing that comes to mind is called, I think, Open Garden. You know, I don't know much about mm-hmm. the, I don't know much about the project, but that that's just kind of like how I see kind of um, the internet being dispersed and maybe, you know, advanced in, in a way. Um, so from that peer-to-peer fashion where like, you know, you have internet, you're providing it to your neighbor and they're going to have one and it just keeps going and going and going. Well, maybe there's, you know, I don't know, but maybe there is something with microorganisms and the dispersion and, and gathering process of that where, you know, you can source them. It's got to be about sourcing, right? What is it? What is it about microorganisms that's most important to, I guess, what's the problem and and what do we... Well, my, my thought on it was that there's, uh, like, similar to microbes, you get these families of microbes, and then there's these technology upgrades. And right now we've seen blockchain come into our consciousness. So a lot of technology, it's been around before. We did blockchain, but now it's formalized. Now it's a conscious thing. Now we're actually building systems. Once we've understood the problem and it's really emerged, now we have these formalized solutions and this way of solving it. So like microbes, they, they've they figured out how to breathe oxygen, say, like this upgrade tech. Now you're going to get a bunch of organisms that are going to come from that. Like you got Ethereum, you got Bitcoin, you got, uh, you know, Dogecoin. That's one of my favorite ones. <laughs> Invest in Dogecoin. Um, <laughs> uh, and all these different things. So just like microbes, there's these families that come out with these tech to solve these problems within you know, an ecosystem and they're going to kind of battle it out and the ones with the best tech or the ones with the most evolved organisms take over and then those breed out more families, more species. And, you know, in, in that just, it, it's a similar, I see how technology evolves and I see how biology evolves. Same type of thing. These iterations in, in studying the natural cycles enables you to better understand our our human cycles because they're following the same thing wow yeah that was awesome yeah and what like um do you have any like predictions for for any of these secret society members or listeners that are that are tuning in because i remember when i was i don't know if it was like six years ago or something i remember tommy coming to my house being like you got to get ethereum Mm. You gotta get it. It's it's about to go, and it was like you're an early adopter. I, I don't know. It was like nine dollars or like thirteen dollars at the time. No, it was it wasn't like six years ago. It was like 2017. You know, it wasn't. <laughs> but that the fact is is that it was that low, and then he's like, just invest in it, invest in it, and then now today I just looked at it. It's at like a hundred and sixty-eight dollars and fifty-six cents. So wow. any investment that would have went in at that time would have. Yeah, yeah. I I feel I feel that my I had some friends tell me to do that early, like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and I just I just ignored it because I you know, it just didn't jive with me in a lot of ways. And I I feel, I, part of me is that because it's a new technology and that it feels so unsubstantial in terms of I know what's driving it is guys just thinking, 
man, I should have done this and I should have done that, you know, and like feeling this urge, like right now where he says that, I kind of feel this like pull in my gut to think, man, it's going to keep going up because like you say, we're finding more and more uses for these. And these are the original species, which are going to be more and more valuable. So just like, it's like I found a microbe and it's like, oh, we should be feeding this one. So it spreads. We should, you know, the more energy I put in, the more I inoculate my land with this microbe, the, the better off I'm going to be in the future. And it's, and so I, f I feel like, you know, the, yeah, like I, I do feel that pull for this, but I do know one of the reasons it's, oh, it's inflated because it's in, because people know it's like, it's, it's like he should, he said, she said, but that that's real in human life. It, like our fiat currency today, the federal reserve notes are based on, he said, she said, they're just printed out of thin air by a private bank, and then we trade them as if they're currency well, they're, they're and their debt notes. The Federal Reserve says. So, so these other technologies are no different, but in terms of if you started to print Bitcoin coins, someone would come and shoot you. Well, I mean, you can't print Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, see, I because the people with guns would no come and would, kill you, right? Well, no one. There's only 21 million Bitcoin. Yeah, and you'd have to write the ledger on there and all that. It would be impossible, right? Yeah. But someone will do it, watch. Someone will have a Bitcoin yeah, coin that maybe. somehow has the ledger embedded within it. <laughs> that would be, wow, yeah. Quantum computing <laughs> it's a is scary U USB, yeah. It's a USB coin. You plug it in. <laughs> <laughs> I solved it. <laughs> Trademark. <laughs> you got some good ideas coming out of you. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I enjoy technology. I, I really, it's a, you know, I, I do this farming. Um, when I, I studied artificial intelligence in school, and then I realized one of the most efficient algorithms was studying ants. So a really hard problem to solve in the way ants do it by dropping pheromones as they visit things. Turns out you'll find the shortest path. And so when I started to realize I got, I studied computers, computers, technology all the way. And then I finally realized, oh, like the best algorithms are actually natural things. I was wow. like, oh, okay. Well, then if you want to write better computer science algorithms, just being outside in nature, like watching how mycelia go, all of a sudden it's like the shortest subway path. Mm -hmm. You know, like they do these things and it's like, oh, well, nature you know is a, is a teacher to bring those back into computerized algorithms and digital you know represent you know digital integrity because each digit is like a can be measured and checksummed and all those things that is amazing i've never heard of anyone describe it that way and that <laughs> that is incredible <laughs> that's really that's really powerful probably a lot of truth to that one yeah, well, I yeah, I love. I mean, I spend a lot of time on the computer doing stuff too cuz I believe it's a it's one of our best resources we have today. Like making yeah. this digital media where you have a broadcast like, you know, YouTube out to millions. Where we you know, previously only Hollywood had that. You know, they kind of controlled it. Now anyone could be a YouTube star within their censorship, you know, whoever they're manipulating algorithms. But potentially anybody could, you know. So, so is there a way that, like, the blockchain could merge with this, like, idea that you had, Drake, of, like, people being able to be sovereign of, of their self within the digital realm? Like, all 
all the information and stuff that's on the island, you know, it might get censored and stuff out. But how is how is it possible to create the reality where it's all like it's all like that? Where it, it's like you, you know, if you're on YouTube today and you there is an opportunity to reach a broad audience, but you still have to work through within that system of the limitations of being censored within that control system. How how is it possible to integrate the blockchain in these these ways where that is it's just like it's just like it's all sovereign. It's all it's you know. What do you, do you know about Steemit? About what? Steemit. It's like Steam a it. Oh yeah, that was pretty popular back in like is it, it's not like a YouTube blog blockchain. It's like Reddit but incentivized so you if you post something and you get more upvotes, you kind of get a token. Driven by blockchain? Yeah, that was on, I think, I don't I don't know what happened. I don't even, I don't, it, it wasn't on like Ethereum. I think it was like EOS or something, the EOS blockchain. Or, if they were. or actually, maybe it was its own blockchain. I think it was its own blockchain. But yeah, I remember that one. So do you equate like the blockchain with DNA at all? With DNA? Mm-hmm. I think genomics and blockchain are going to be really big and powerful. Um, powerful combination. Um, there's always there's already there's one way in which uh, you know if you want to share your DNA, they, there are some companies doing it where kind of incentivizing you to donate your DNA to a pool, yeah, and and then you get a you know based on the revenue that is generated from this pool of DNA you get you know paid in it really Crazy. interesting we won't, we don't need to go into okay. into the views on that but um i think doing that better more securely uh and more in a self-sovereign way where you actually do own it and you don't need to donate it and have someone else you know attach your dna to you as a as a person um so i think genomics and, and blockchain are going to be going to be pretty big well what I, what I, I guess what i'm hinting at is that the to me the dna is like nature's blockchain right it's this code and it's built of aminos and there's four base pairs and they kind of organize themselves in this way that it could be looked as like a digital ledger itself and then but so the interesting thing is going from the dna thinking of it like that like that if if we accept okay maybe that is nature's blockchain then studying dna would help you write better blockchain algorithms and one thing I know about DNA, which trademark right here, is that it has a fractal relationship so that it's self-similar. And that's one of the problems they have with genetic engineering today, where they can do CRISPR, which mm -hmm. CRISPR would be like going into a blockchain and then saying, okay, we're going to swap out these bits and those things, and then we're going to still run it through a checksum and it's still going to run, i.e. the plant doesn't die. So what they're doing in genetic engineering today is sort of like manipulating this immutable blockchain, which, but they're just editing portions and then checking out and saying it's okay. But what happens in the genetics is just similar to like what we'd implement into our blockchain, which is technology to, to understand was there manipulation in portions, even though you can still check some it out for whatever rules you have and it still maybe fits through the ledger okay. But you don't want a fractal algorithm that somehow to represent everything in all the pieces so that as you manipulate this section here, you actually have to send that chain or that change 
and, and reflect it throughout all of the data rep- representing this whole immutable thing. And so understanding genetics and CRISPR and blockchain and this mutability, immutability, and how genetic codes and whether it'll pass certain tests, I think those are very similar related algorithms. And I think the study of both, us studying blockchain, it will help us do better GMOing, genetic engineering, and understanding how genetics of like biology works will help us write better blockchain algorithm checksum manipulate you know immutability or whatever you're gonna say that sets immutable which i always as a computer scientist i would always say i don't i will yet to see (laughs) the only constant is turning the machine off (laughs) oh that's a good joke yeah no i mean that's a great comparison um, I've heard one other person, I don't know who it was, but also referenced kind of like our biology and it being one just being all on a blockchain already and, you know, who who knows what it is. But definitely there's some some power and truth to, to that. Um, so for that to happen, you need to get really intelligent people in those domains to to do that. Yeah, I mean that's that's one of the reasons I started to go study biology in this way because then then now seeing these similarities, it's like okay, well, we don't have to invent new algorithms. What do we know that makes CRISPR work? Okay, how do we apply that to blockchain now? And if we take these similarities, okay, so what is blockchain? Can we build it out of four bits just like DNA? Can we put it into words and bytes and bits so it lines up in these ways just like it does on the hardware as it does in our genetic genome? You know. Can we store, like, you know, however, codons, we have 64 or something like that. Can we put it into an I Ching two-based on-off storage thing that's manipulable along these certain rules? I kind of feel inspired to throw the I Ching right now. Yeah. Is that okay? Or can we just, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I actually want to know more about when you're looking at the ants. Oh, I'd li- I think it would be interesting to dive deeper into that and what that tells you and how you can use that to make more efficient algorithms or something. Like, how do you translate looking at biology into the digital realm? Well, so, so to some background on the problem, there's a known problem called the traveling salesman progr- problem. And it's just well known in computer science. Basically, you have cities and the guy's buying air flights to travel between cities. And he wants to minimize the amount of distance he travels. Because, you know, whatever, that's your cost or whatever. So that's the problem. So how do you find the shortest path between all the cities? And the way ants solve it, it, well, so, so it's very challenging. You know, you can just wander randomly through and find these different ways. And you can approximate different solutions. You can try to say, okay, these are the shortest ways. But... The more complex the graph gets, more cities, more dimensions, the harder it gets. And this problem is, you know, generalizable to other things, like optimizing all kinds of things. So, so but the problem is, is you got all these cities with flying between. What ants do is they'll walk randomly. So they'll go to city one, city two, city three, city four. And behind them, they'll drop out a constant amount of pheromone. When... Then as they wander, when they find the food, 
Then they'll come back, and once they found food, they emit more pheromone. And what happens is you find these ants that just wander the graph randomly dropping pheromone, and they will find, uh, you know, as they find the path with the food, it gets stronger and stronger. And just by running it a for our free episode, so uh, check us out at microbialsecret.org and uh, get the full two-hour episode. Aloha.